Good morning, familia and friends. Uh, it is so good to be with you. If you're new this morning, my name is Misael, and I'm the pastor here. And I just want to tell you, Happy Thanksgiving, and kind of like Feliz Navidad. Like, we're kind of in that, you know, in between of like, if I say Happy Thanksgiving, do I say Feliz Navidad, which is Merry Christmas? But, you know, what do we say? So I'm just going to say both. You know, Happy Thanksgiving, Merry Christmas. And so I don't know about you guys, but like, after a whole weekend of like eating a lot of things, you might feel like this cat that I want to show you. And so I feel like this cat. I don't know if you feel like this cat, but I totally feel like this cat where it says, how I feel after Thanksgiving. Anybody feel like that? No. Yeah, I ate a lot of food and I'm like, man, I could probably run fast for the next like, two weeks. Uh, but maybe some of you uh, were not able to eat like all the food you ever wanted, but I really hope that you feel like that cat in gratitude and saying, I feel like this. This is how I feel after Thanksgiving. Because I just want to give the Lord thanks and all the blessings that he's given me. Lord, thank you so much. Like, I feel so grateful. I feel full of thanks because of your love and your grace and your mercy. Uh, that's my hope this morning is that's how you feel. Uh, so this morning, we're going to continue in our uh, sermon series called Reconstruct. And it's actually the very last sermon of this series. Which everyone could say, boo. But it's okay, because next week we're going to start uh, our Christmas series, which will be so fun, because it's the Christmas season. Uh, and so I'm really grateful for that. It's going to be called Remind Me. And so we're going to be looking about, uh, about different places in the Bible, saying let's remember uh, what Christmas is about, with a little different twist. So I want to encourage you guys to come back for that. And so as we continue in this very last sermon series of Reconstruct, uh, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 13. And here's kind of the title for us. The title for us this morning is Reconstruct our need for purity. Reconstruct our need for purity. So unless you've read ahead to Nehemiah chapter 13 and read the whole thing, you might be thinking that Nehemiah chapter 13 ends with like a happily ever after, but it doesn't. And so you might be saying, okay, why is the title Reconstruct our need for purity? Well, I'm going to show you that once we turn to Nehemiah chapter 13, because it ends with a little different twist in and so as you're turning there to Nehemiah chapter 13, I, I just kind of want to give you an inside look at how I grew up and maybe some of the things that I had to do and maybe you resonate with this as well. So check this out. So I'm growing up and, you know, I'm this little kid just trying to hang out with friends or maybe mom has some friends over. And I don't know why. Every time I had friends over, every time my mom had friends over, she said, hey, you need to clean your room. And I was like, why? Like, why do I need to clean your room if your friends are coming over, if my friends are coming over? She's like, he said, I need you to clean your room. And I was like, okay. So I complain, and I go clean my room. And when I say clean, I really mean clean. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I had to be cleaning. But really, it'd be like picking up. So I'm like picking up stuff. And I say picking up, but I mean like picking up in the sense of like, I'm putting stuff under the bed. I'm picking stuff in the closet. You know, I'm just hiding stuff in the bathroom. But it's like, yeah, under the sink. Great kind of stuff. I'm just saying. And so that's what I would do. And my mom would come in, and she'd be like, okay, as everything looking, and it's like, well, looks clean, huh? She's like, oh, looks under the bed, looks in the closet, looks in the bathroom. She's like, no one said that. That's not what I'm talking about. And so she'd get everything. She's no, we're going to clean. And so I clean it. I'm like, mom, like, why do I have to do this? She's like, me say, just do it. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I, you know, I do it. And I remember one time, my mom, after I got done cleaning, she said something to me that has just stuck with me and stayed with me even till today. And I wrote it down so I didn't forget. But here, here's what she said, because I was just asking her, like, Mom, why do I have to clean my room? Because it's not like the guests are going to come in and peek under my bed. It's not like they're going to come in and be like, oh, wow, Miss Nanny, you really cleaned your room today. This is awesome. They're not going to be doing that. 
is what this one on, what my mom said. She goes, Messiah, if you can't keep the most personal and private area of your life clean, then how do you expect to have the most public areas of your life clean without being personal and private area of your life clean, then how do you expect to have the most public areas of your life clean without being fake? And so that's a really valuable principle that my mom taught me when I was younger. It just stuck with me. And so as we think about humanity and as we look at Nehemiah chapter 13, we have to recognize that as, as human beings, we will continually be tainted by sin. We're going to be in the presence of sin. We're going to fall in sin. We're going to be tempted by sin. We're going to gravitate towards sin. And because that's who we are, we need the Holy Spirit who is in us to purify us and to clean us. Because yes, there is this initial purification that whenever our relationship with the Lord is restored, whenever we put our faith and trust in Him and we are made new creations and we are walking with the Lord, yes, there is this initial purification. But there's just also this other purification of as believers, we need the Lord to consistently cleanse us, consistently uh, push us and say, okay, you need a purification, and why? Like, why do we need purification in our life? Well, here's why. Because purification leads us to restoration. Purification leads us to restoration. And this right here is actually our just main, just main idea and main principle for this morning. Uh, and so as we look at Nehemiah chapter 13, that's what I want us to keep in mind, is that purification leads to restoration time and time again. And so I want to just leave that on the screen so we can have it there. And, and as we have it there, I just want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 13, because the context is actually in the beginning three verses. So what Nehemiah does is he starts with the ending in order for us to understand all the stuff that he had to do in order for him to purify uh, the people of Israel. And so as we look at chapter 13, we're going to stand up here just a little bit, but not right now. Uh, but I just, wanted to, I just want you to see verses 1 that starts with this. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. Then the people heard this law. They excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. And so this right here is the context in which uh, we'll see the rest of the chapter because in, in verse 4 it says, before this, before this, what we just read is everything that happened. Okay, so purification leads to restoration. It leads to restoration of our relationship with God. Purification leads to restoration of our worship of God. Purification leads to our, our longing for God. And so that's what we're going to continually see in this chapter. So let's go ahead and stand up together. And we're going to read starting in verse 4. And we'll go all the way to verse 14. So starting in verse 4, it says this. Before this, remember what we just read. Before this, uh, Eliashib, the priest, had put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. Which Tobiah, this guy right here, just so you don't forget, is the same guy who tried to kill Nehemiah. He's the same guy who's an enemy of Israel. So in the verse 5 it says, 
and he has provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offering and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. Verse 6. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission, and I came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Elishib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God, the grain offerings and the incense. Verse 10. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at the coast. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storehouse. I put Shemaliah uh, the priest, the Zodak, the scribe, and a Levite named Pedaiah in charge of the storerooms, and made Hanan, son of Zachur, the son of Mephaniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Now here's verse 14, Nehemiah saying, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Praise, Praise God. God. Amen. Amen. So you have to remember that Nehemiah is a narrative, and so it's like a story. So we have to read the story. So sometimes we have to read a lot of verses. But here's the first point that we see in verses 1 to 14. The first point of explanation is this. We see a purification of the temple. A purification of the temple. And so Nehemiah, like we've seen here, Nehemiah, he actually went back to uh, the king, the king Artaxerxes, after he had, um, you know, reconstructed the, uh, the wall, after putting leaders in place, and then he goes back, and he's a, a cupbearer for the king, and and he goes back because he'd actually promised the king that he'd come back because in chapters 1 and 2, if you remember, the queen asked Nehemiah, hey, when, how long are you going? Like, how long are you staying here for? So he goes back, and so now he's a cupbearer, and what's happening is that he's been back for about 12 years. So Nehemiah has been gone for Jerusalem for about 12 years. He's been a cupbearer there, and then he comes back. He's like asking permission, hey, can I go back? I'd love to go visit Jerusalem again. He goes back, and you know what he finds? A complete disaster. A complete disaster. So I want you to imagine this, just so you have in your mind what Nehemiah was walking into. Imagine a parent leaving their kids at, at home, and they say, hey, I'm going to go to the store. Please behave. I'll be right back. Like, I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to grab some things. I'm going to go to Walmart, Target, whatever. And I'm going to come back. And they come back, and you know what they find? A complete disaster. Here's what they find. The fridge is on fire. The oven is frozen. And for some reason, the vacuum is on, and they have no idea why. And it's just standing. Like, this is exactly what Nehemiah walked into. He was like, what is happening? Like, this is a complete disaster. What has happened with no supervision? That's exactly what Nehemiah is doing. And if you look at chapter 7, Nehemiah, he's, he's pretty quick on his feet. Because in verse 7, that's where he learns that all of this has happened. That Tobiah has been living in the house of the Lord in the temple. And then in verse 8... 
That's exactly what he's like, now we're gonna respond, I'm throwing all the Tobias stuff at you. And so as we see this, it might seem a little extreme, but I think we can come to the conclusion that Nehemiah goes to great lengths to see Israel restored, that they would see Israel repent, that he would see Israel purified, Pur purification in such a way that it would lead them to restoration. You see, Elishib, the priest, he, he totally messed up, if we're being honest. Like, I can just see Nehemiah looking at him and saying, dude, you have one job. That's all you have. One job to keep and to keep, take care of the storerooms. And instead of, like, storing them and putting stuff in there, nothing is in there. And now Tobiah, this Moabite, is in there. And let alone the Moabite that tried to kill me. That's what probably Nehemiah is telling the guy. And so we can look at all of this and we can see that it's harsh, but honestly, Nehemiah is doing everything that he can to make sure that Israel is being purified and restoring their worship of God, restoring their love of God. And so you might be asking, okay, he said, what's the big deal? Like, why is it that the Ammonites and the Moabites can't be in the temple? Well, if we look at Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 and 6, this is what God said. God says, no Ammonite or Moabite are allowed into the assembly of God. But they're not allowed just because God said so. They're allowed, they're not allowed because if you write down Numbers 22, verses 3 and 11, you'll see this moment when Israel's walking in the wilderness and the Ammonites and the Moabites, instead of helping them, what they do is they try to pronounce curses on Israel. And they try to curse them. And it's this moment where these people are cursing them and, and that has affected generations and generations and generations to where now, many years later, I mean, it's been a lot of years since Numbers 22. And after many years, you still have this Ammonite who's Tobiah, who's trying to curse Israel, be an enemy of Israel, try to be an enemy of Nehemiah, an enemy of what God is doing. And so here you have Nehemiah saying, this is not acceptable. And so Nehemiah doesn't hesitate, honestly, to begin this purification process. He sees it, and he does something about it. You could put it this way, that Nehemiah quickly confronts the sin quickly confronts the sin of Elishib, of Israel, of what's happening in the temple. And then after quickly confronting the sin, he quickly calls on the Lord. He quickly calls for them uh, to, to empty the rooms. He quickly calls on them to do something different. And then what he does, if you keep on reading, if you, if you, uh, if you notice what he does with, with the other Levites, he quickly creates new boundaries. Quickly creates new boundaries and asking other people to come into the temple in hopes of restoring the worship for God. And this is very, very, very serious because we can safely assume that almost for 12 years, almost 12 years, the people had neglected the temple, meaning they neglected the worship of God. Can you imagine Israel doing that? That, that though they've reconstructed all of this, they've seen God move in such a crazy way, and then they neglect worshiping God for 12 years. So you might be saying, okay, he said, that's really cool for Israel. Like, okay, I get it. That's what me and my did for them. But what does this mean for me? So I just want to make it personal real quick. Last week we talked about how we are the temple because the Holy Spirit is inside of us. The presence of God is inside of us. And if we are the temple, let's think about this in this moment. What sin are we allowing to be in our life? What sin are we allowing to be in our storeroom instead of something that needs to be of God? What evil are we allowing to be housed in our heart rather than Scripture, rather than the 
the Lord rather than something else that is to be glorifying to God. Because just as Elisha and Israel were allowing Tobiah to live inside the temple, that can happen to us as well. Where we allow it to happen. Where we allow this, this sin and this evil to be a part of our life. And, and I'll tell you what, if we hold those things and we just allow it to happen, that'll be a detriment to our worship. That'll be our detriment. And before we know it, we'll be like Israel. And we'll look back and say, man, I haven't worshipped God in 12 years. Because I've allowed the sin to be housed in me. Rather than doing what Nehemiah did. And that's what I want to encourage us to do. Is look what Nehemiah did. He confronted the sin. He called out to the Lord. And he created new boundaries. And that's what we see in this moment. Just to make it super personal and the thing is, is, I just want to ask you the question. What part or aspect of our temple, of our hearts and our minds, needs to be purified? What, what part? And when I ask you that question, I, I hope that you would go ahead and be able to pinpoint what that is. I really hope you can. And then here's my encouragement to you. Is that just as God used Nehemiah to purify the temple, do you know that you can't purify yourself? The thing is, is that it's the Lord who purifies. It's not our works that purifies. It's not our works, and it's not everything that we can do or all the things that we can do that can purify us, but it's only the Lord. I want to give you just a different perspective of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. That says, it is by grace that we are saved, not by works. So that's how we're going to boast. So check this out. It is by grace that we are purified. It is by grace that we are saved. It is by grace that we are clean. It is by grace that we are transformed. It is by grace, not by our works. Amen. And so this moment that we recognize all of this, honestly, it gives us great hope. It gives us great hope of saying, man, I can't purify myself, but Lord, I need you to purify me. Lord, yes, I put my faith and trust in you, but man, I don't want to kill myself to just work and work and work, trying to be purified. God saying, yeah, don't, don't kill yourself trying to work, because I've already done all the work. Like me, Jesus, died for you, to, for you to be cleansed and to be purified. And then as you saw Nehemiah do, he had, to, he had to go find other Levites and say, hey, you other Levites, you need to come because you're trustworthy, and you need to come work the temple, you need to come do all these things so we can be purified. You see, we don't need to call on other Levites to come and, and help us out. We can call on the Levite, who is Jesus Christ himself. Say, Lord, you've done all the work, but you're the one I call upon. You are my mediator. I don't need another Levite to be a mediator between, between you and myself, but I have Jesus who's my mediator, the one who stands between me, the one I can go to. And so I do want you to think about what is, what is that thing in my life, what is that thing that I'm housing, what is that sin that's in me that I need the Lord to purify in order to lead me to a restoration. Well, as you think about that, man, I just hope and have this great hope of saying, I, I just have to give that to the Lord. I have to pray and say, Lord, clean me. I give that to you. So that's the first thing I can see. We see this purification of the temple. And the next thing I just want to show you, starts in verse 15, is this. It's a purification of the town. A purification of the town. So we've seen a purification of the temple. Now we see a purification of so I'm going to start reading in verse 15. And it says this. 
In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loaves. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Before I warned them against selling food on that day. So before I keep on going, one thing that just like stuck out to me that I thought was kind of funny is uh, when, he, when it talks about treading, um, treading wine presses, uh, back in the day, I'm just imagine like a little kiddie pool and like all these grapes in it. And just imagine the guy just kind of doing this. He's just kind of like treading. He's like, all right, I gotta smash the grapes for the wine and stuff. And can you imagine Nehemiah walking by on the Sabbath, which is a day of rest, right? And he's walking by, he sees Nehemiah, and he's like, oh, oh, bad day, <laughs> bad day. And so I just kind of imagine that moment with the wine presses and this guy's walking around. I, I just thought, okay. yeah, you can laugh. You can laugh about it. So verse 16 says, People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. Verse 17, I rebuked the nobles of Judah and I said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on the city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating Sabbath. And so this is what he might say, because what he's doing, he's, he's pointing out that Israel has forgotten and stopped practicing some really important things. And the one thing that he's pointing out is that they have stopped practicing the Sabbath. And so the Sabbath was really good for Israel. It was one of those things that helped them continue their relationship with God, that their relationship with God would, would flourish. So this is the main point that he's doing, and they have neglected to do that. And again, Nehemiah wastes no time. He sees it. He sees the guy walking around in that kiddie pool, and he said, nope, you have to do something about that. And so what he does, he doesn't waste any time, and he goes to great lengths again to see Israel be restored and to be purified. And so he does all this, and then as we keep reading, you'll see some of the things that he did. But I just want to talk about the Sabbath just a little bit. Because you might be asking, can we decide what truly is the Sabbath? What does that, what does that mean? So when we think about the Sabbath, the Sabbath was this thing that God commanded Israel to do, which is one day that was dedicated to rest and worship. A day that was completely dedicated to rest and worship. And that's really important for us because... Really, it allowed Israel to understand this concept that everything belonged to God, even their time. Even their time belonged to God. And, and though maybe they could work a little bit more to get more money, they had to set aside that moment to say, no, Lord, I'm going to rest and I'm going to worship you. And this was really good for them. And as we look at the prophets, there's an interesting trend that we see with Israel that whenever they're careless with the Sabbath, whenever they neglect the Sabbath, what do they do? They neglect the worship. Because it's that one day that they're supposed to be dedicated to, to reading scripture, to praying, to meditating on God's word. And then if they neglect that, they neglect that day. And then, you know, as human beings, you know, it's really easy to just kind of like stop reading, stop meditating, stop worshiping God. And so in all of this, they slip up. And in honesty, the, the, the whole intention of the Sabbath was for this space and this place, for the people of Israel just to be so intentional with him, to just for them, and it was good because it helped them gather as a family to say, okay, this is who the Lord is, this is what the Lord has done, and this was just so vital in their life, so vital in who they were, and then as we see later on in these verses, because they had neglected the Sabbath, 
In verse 22, I want you to look at it. Nehemiah says this. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gate in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. So what he does is not only does he purify a temple, but he purifies his other Levites of saying, hey, you are responsible to helping the people of Israel keep the Sabbath. So purify yourselves, a.k.a. rededicate yourselves to being responsible. Rededicate yourselves to the Lord. Rededicate yourselves to the worship of God. Rededicate yourselves to protecting these people from not neglecting the Sabbath, from falling into the kind of corporate sin that is against God and who he is. And so as we look at all this, you might be saying, yeah, the Sabbath is like for Israel. It's for those people. And in a sense, you're kind of right. The command of the Sabbath is not something that we have to follow in order to be people who are righteous with God. Because that's something that Israel had to do. So it's not the command that we follow. But I'll tell you this. The principle of the Sabbath is something worth following. The principle should be something that we value of saying, you know, we should find a value of setting aside the time, yes, on a Sunday morning, but maybe at another time, to truly meditate on God's word, to read his word, to listen to him, to meditate on him. Because there is power. Listen to me when I say this. There is power with sitting with God. There is power with just sitting there with him and saying, okay, Lord, this is what the word says, and I just want to just hear you and just meditate on and there's power in sitting there because we live in a day and age more so than ever where we live amongst content creators, where there's just so much content everywhere. So you have all this content on TikTok, on Facebook Live, you have it on Instagram Reels, on Instagram Stories, Facebook Stories, YouTube, YouTube Reels. I mean, there's content creators everywhere. And as we do that, we have this tendency, and tell me if I'm wrong, we have this tendency to uh, sit with the content. And this is going to sound cheesy, okay? I'm going to go ahead and say it. We'd rather sit with the content than sit with the creator. We'd rather be, and I've said this before, but I think it's true, and I need to keep saying it until I really live it out to perfection. But for some reason as humans, we'd much rather be distracted by creation than directed by the creator. We'd much rather be distracted by creation directed by the creator and, and here's how I know this and I just want you to answer this in, in, in yourself when was the last time that you sat there and just kind of scrolled through social social media when was the last time that you sat there and you scrolled through Facebook market when was the last time you sat there and just scrolled through TikTok when was the last time you sat there and just watched TV for hours and hours and hours when's the last time that you sat there and you binge watched a whole Netflix show you can probably pinpoint when you did that last. And here's the last question. When is the last time that you sat down with the Lord, with his word, and slowly and patiently just read and meditated without, here's the, here's the point, without getting antsy after five minutes? Let that kind of just sink in. Because I've found that in my life that I can sit and binge watch Netflix. But I begin to like sit down with God's word, and after like five minutes, I get antsy. I'm like, man, maybe I should probably like go on a jog, or maybe I should go work out, or maybe I should go do something. And it's like, why is that the case? Like, why do I rather sit and just consume all this content rather than sitting with the Creator Himself? And it's just this thing that we're going to have to battle as human beings. But I just want to encourage you: let's be the people who sit with.
power in sinning with God. Because we have to. We need it. Because we are incomplete human beings without God. And so let's sit with the one who makes us truly complete. Let's be those people. And so we've seen a purification of the temple. We've seen a purification of the town. And here's the last thing that we see. We see a purification of the testimony. The purification of the testimony. So we'll start reading in verse 23. verse 23, it says this. Moreover, in those days I saw men in Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of the one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them, and I called curses them on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name, and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take your daughters in marriage to your sons or for yourselves. So this is what we see Nehemiah doing. You see, we see a purification of the testimony. And instead of trying to explain all of this to all of this to you, instead of trying to explain it, I kind of want to just give you an illustration, if you let me. So being an immigrant in this country is really hard. Being someone who's come from another country and, and is now trying to establish themselves in this country is honestly really difficult. Like I've had friends who have just come to me, like grown men who are like six foot five, play volleyball and soccer and all kind of stuff, come to me just in tears because they're from Colombia or they're from Venezuela or somewhere. And they say, Misael, I just want to be in my bed curled up and I just want to cry because everywhere I go, I just don't understand. Everywhere I go, it just gives me a headache, and my head just feels like it's about to fall off. That's what they tell me. But not only is that the problem, but being an immigrant is really hard because once you kind of get assimilated and you begin to have kids and you begin to have kids, your kids begin to assimilate to the language and culture here, the where they speak English and you know they do the American culture things, which is amazing and beautiful. But they begin to kind of like lose the language of their parents. They begin to lose culture of their parents. And, and, and what's happening is, is they're just assimilating here, which is, again, not a bad deal. But if you think about it kind of biblically and spiritually, they're not ever going to be able to not know the Bible. Because the Bible is not just in Spanish or not just in German, but the Bible is in English. And so maybe as they're assimilated here, they're able to still read the Word, they're still able to go to church, which is just a beautiful thing. They're still able to understand the Scriptures. I want you to take everything I just said, and I want you to view it in a Hebrew lens. Because this is what we're seeing right here, what we just read. Because I know you might be distracted and saying, why did Nehemiah pull that guy's hair out? Like, we'll get there. We'll get there. But just imagine you're an Israelite. You speak Hebrew. Okay? And now, you disobey the Lord, and you allow your kids to marry people that are not from your own area. A.K.A. non-Hebrew speaking people. To where now they're beginning to assimilate to that culture. Now they're beginning to speak that language. And what do they do? They begin to lose the Hebrew language. And this is a big deal. Why? Because the scriptures were in Hebrew. And if you begin to lose your Hebrew, what can you not read? If you begin to lose your Hebrew of your culture, what practices do you begin to neglect? So it's this moment and this tension of saying, guys. If you let your kids marry other people, there will be generations in the future, not very far away, 
that will not be able to listen to the scriptures. They won't be able to read the scriptures. And this is why it was such a big deal for, for Nehemiah. This is what caused him to say, oh, man, I'm just going to pull your hair out, which I didn't want to do anything. But all of this was happening because it was a big deal that they would lose their connection with the Lord. Because it was much bigger than just losing a language and a culture. It was about losing the, the ability to, to listen to the word, to read the word, reread the word, to, to uh, persevere in the word, to obey the word. And all of this was taught and read in Hebrew. And so you had people who were, who were letting their children be married off and, and they weren't able to do that. And so this is why you have that Nehemiah coming. And so in all of this, Nehemiah does get a little mad, and I don't suggest confronting people and pulling their hair out. But what is interesting about this is that this was actually kind of like a ritual, where uh, it was part of a ritual where if this happened, you would bring the men that allowed it to happen in front of everyone, and it was part of the ritual to pull their hair out. It's what they did. Not that I suggest it, that's what they did. But then there's all these moments of, of public shame, and it's public shame, and this public confrontation and all this confrontation and all this purification was meant to restore Israel back to their worship. Restore Israel back to the place where they were with the Lord. And so, we see this whole restoration occurring where Nehemiah is just saying, man, I just want you guys to walk with the Lord. So I want you to look at verse 29 with me. Verse 29 says this, remember them, my God, this is Nehemiah saying, Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priest's office and the covenant of priesthood of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign, and I assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits to priests. Remember me with favor, my God. And that's how Nehemiah chapter 13 ends. Just like that. And so what does this mean for us? Right? We, we've Walk through the passage, through the chapter, and we've made some personal application here and there. But what's the big takeaway? Right? So if someone asks you at lunch, hey, what did you learn at church today? You can say, well, purification leads to restoration. And they could say, okay, what did that even mean? We can talk a little bit. But the thing I just want you to take home, the thing that you can say, okay, this is the next step. Here it is. I'm going to give it to you. Here's what we need to do. Confront the sin in our life. Confront the sin and I hope, I hope this point doesn't come to a surprise to you because I really try to, to point everything to this. I'm saying purification leads to restoration. In order for that to happen, we have to confront the sin in our life. And then as we look at that and as we live that out, we also have to look at Matthew chapter 18. We're saying we have to be okay with being a people who with kindness and with grace are able to confront the sin in other people's lives. You see in Matthew chapter 18, it talks about how we see someone who, is, who needs purification. We see someone who's maybe out here and sinning, though they're part of the body of God. We see that we have to confront them in order to bring them in and restore them. First we go to them one-on-one, then one-on-two, one-on-three, one in a group. And if they don't come to repentance, if they don't come to restoration, then we have to bring them before everybody. Why? In order, in order to restore them. And so how are we going to confront the sin in our life? I'm going to repeat this to you. I've already said it before, but it's this. 
We need to quickly confront the sin that is happening in us. We need to quickly call upon the Lord to purify us. And we need to quickly create new values. But you see, we can do all that. But maybe you're not in Christ. Maybe you're not a believer. Here's what I'd say to you. You need a new heart before you need a new habit. You need a new heart. You need the Lord to transform your heart. Because, yeah, you can do all, all these great things. You can have all these great habits. But without a new heart, these new habits are nothing. So we need a new heart. And as we finish Nehemiah chapter 13, I hope you realize this. That, yes, we probably need the Lord to reconstruct things in our life. But once he reconstructs them, it's not going to be perfect. We're going to need a continuation of purification. And then, here's the big hope that we're going to celebrate all through December. The big hope is that there's going to be one day when we are no longer going to need this continuation of purification. Because either God calls us home, or he's coming to us. And that'll be something. Where Jesus has already came, but he promised that he's going to come again. He's going to return again. And so that's the big, big hope for us. So what I want to do is I just want to give you a moment uh, with the Lord. Just to sit with Him and to pray and, and do what we have on the screen. Confront the sin in our life. Just saying, Lord, thank you for reconstructing something in me. Lord, I need to continue to confront those things in my life. So I'm going to go ahead and just give you a moment to be with the Lord, to sit with Him, to pray to Him and respond to this word that we God, we come before you saying that we want to quickly confront the sin that we have identified in our life. We confront it, we meet it face to face. And as we look at it face to face, Lord, at this moment, we quickly call upon you saying, Lord, will you cleanse me? Will you purify me? Lord, will you take those things out of my life? And Lord, as you do that, will you create new boundaries in my life? Oh, 
known and present that all they will be able to do is just bow down and proclaim that you are Lord, that you are, that you are God, that you are Almighty, that you, Jesus, you, Jesus, are the only faithful, that you, Jesus, are the only true, that you, Jesus, are the only life. And Lord, I'm just so excited for this next month that we get to celebrate the great hope, the great reason for Christmas. Lord, thank you that you did come to us. Lord, thank you that we get to celebrate that. We get to celebrate that you are returning. And that, and that if we if we are called back home before you return, that you are still 